0: out there rock and rollers welcome to the 75th edition of the ugly american werewolf in london rock podcast which was recorded by me mac b the wolf here in central london just off historic abbey road and those who have listened to us for a long time know that i am going to be joined by my cohort my partner in crime my co-host action jackson from the states and we talk about stuff that we love classic rock hard rock prog rock heavy metal, early MTV, all the stuff that turned us on as young people and have formulated our rock influences and the love of rock music that we have, but then we've also grown into some things over the years, and and just everything in the world of rock music, we have an insatiable thirst for knowledge about all things rock and roll, all the people who make it, all the songs, all the bands, everything, and if you listen to the show, you know that not only do I live right off of Abbey Road, but I did have the opportunity to visit Abbey Road Studios in November of last year, take a tour, and get to hear a lecture about everything that happened there over the years. And it wasn't just about rock and roll stuff, but certainly the Beatles were a very big part of that. And, of course, Pink Floyd. Now, you've heard a couple of shows on Pink Floyd from us before. We talked about Delicate Sound of Thunder, the movie and the soundtrack, or the live album... We talked about a momentary lapse of reason here not that long ago and how that was really influential for us even though that wasn't... A lot of people don't consider that a great Pink Floyd album or a Pink Floyd album at all. The real hardcore Roger fans don't. But for us, it was great. I think everyone's excited that live music is coming back and it's coming back with a vengeance. And I basically got to see four shows in the span of a month. It's like finally stuff is getting back on the calendar. Finally things are rescheduled. They're relaxing the rules enough that we can let these bands, who some of whom have been raiding the tour for two and a half years finally get back out on the road. And we thank you for listening to our reviews on Genesis Live, our reviews on Simple Minds Live, and last week's show where I got to see Sting at the Palladium in London and Jackson got to see The Cult live in the House of Blues in Orlando. I know we're not the only people excited to have live music back. And I hope you're getting the chance to get out there and see some of your favorite bands. This week, for our 75th episode, I'm going to tell you about an incredibly special live experience that I got to have here in London just recently. I'd never been to Royal Albert Hall before. I've had tickets to see several bands, Jeff Beck, Yes, for a couple years. And I think finally I'm going to go get to see those here this summer. But I haven't seen anybody at Royal Albert Hall in my life. been waiting since I've been here for three years to try to get there. And at the last second, I was able to score not only a ticket to see Nick Mason's saucer full of secrets at Royal Albert Hall, but a ticket in the front row that was basically on the stage. I sat in the stalls one step, two steps from walking right on the stage. There was a security guard sitting there, and that's it. I could have walked straight on the stage and walked right into guitarist Gary Kemp with about eight steps. It was amazing. Of course, Royal Albert Hall is a historic place. seeing all sorts of amazing shows and concerts over the decades and really a century and a half since Victoria dedicated it to Albert. But this night was extremely special. To have that experience, to be right there, and then to hear this amazing music of Pink Floyd, and not all the music of Pink Floyd. Really, it's the pre-Dark Side of the Moon, the pre-big business Pink Floyd. You think about it. From Dark Side of the Moon on, that's covered very well by Pink Floyd in Latter Days, on Delicate Sound of Thunder, which we reviewed on our third show, on the Pulse tour. The last couple tours of Pink Floyd are very heavy on that. When David Gilmour tours, he's very heavy into all that. Even when Roger Waters tours, he's very heavy into all that. So Nick Mason and his amazing band, it's only the five of them, are focusing on everything that came before Dark Side of the Moon, like metal, like Adam Hart Mother, like Obscured by Clouds, like Piper at the Gates of Dawn, the Sid Barrett years, the years they were trying to figure it out, the four of them, how to make this amazing sound. It's the whole experience of being right there, basically on the stage. The sound was amazing, the band was fantastic, Gary Kemp and Guy Pratt, who are the rock on tours, they have an amazing podcast that you should be checking out. Not only because they're awesome at it, but they get amazing guests because they know all those guys. And of course, they recently had Nick Mason on for the second time talking about being back on tour. So it was really special. It was a fun night, and I can't wait to share it with you here on the show. Now, quickly, we want you to download and subscribe wherever you get your podcast, be it Spotify, Apple, Amazon, Google Play, Good Pods, wherever. Please download and subscribe so you don't miss out. And you can always tweet us at Ugly underscore Werewolf or at ActionJack72. We are part of the Pantheon Podcast Network of about 100 amazing music podcasts. And you can check out at Pantheon Pods or PantheonPodcast.com to see some of our friends on there. So without further ado, I want to jump into this. It was just an incredibly special night. It kind of came along at the last second. I jumped on it. I was very fortunate to basically sit front row, almost could touch the band at Royal Albert Hall and hear all this amazing music from the 60s and early 70s with Nick Mason of Pink Floyd and his band. So buckle up, guys. We're talking about Nick Mason's Saucer Full of Secrets live at Royal Albert Hall here on The Wolf.
2: Let's yes. get into the let's get into the big show. Big show. Big show today, which was of course Nick Mason's saucer full of secrets yes and i think i want to i want to start off on this because this wasn't even something that you just all of a sudden just the ticket popped up and you went this wasn't like oh i've been planning this i can't wait to go to this so what was the take me through how you got the ticket and went to the show
0: the anticipation yeah so obviously when i came over to london i moved here three years ago i wanted to go see shows and i wanted to see shows that people who I hadn't seen before, and maybe folks who I wouldn't get a chance to see in the US. Because basically, everybody comes to London, whether they're from the UK or from someplace else. If they're doing a UK tour at some point, they're going to hit London. And in 2019, I think it was, getting some good reviews from this out of classic rock magazine which which i love and you know say hey look nick mason is revisiting everything from pre dark side of the moon because they did have what six albums or so plus some singles Mm -hmm. that built this kind of incredible sound before you got to the monolithic huge greatest selling albums of all time phase of Pink Floyd. So it was It was like he was taking this opportunity. He didn't necessarily want to retire yet, even though he'd been off the road for a long time. It's like, well, what am I going to go out there and do? And he, he decided to go out and, and play that kind of era of Pink Floyd music, which I got to say is underserved, right? It's, it's not played a whole lot on American radio. And it was not, most of these songs, I mean, I think one of these days, was played on Delicate Sound of Thunder tour, and that's about it. Maybe a careful with that axe Eugene at some point popped up, but I, I you know, I don't know. I mean, these are songs that are a lot of them are forgotten or, or when we got into Pink Floyd in the 80s, this isn't stuff we were familiar with, right? Yeah, not at all. Like you said, one of these
2: days, and only because it was on the it was on the extended version of Delicate Sound of Thunder. Yeah, if you're a casual fan of the band or a fan of the of the Dark Side of the Moon going forward, you're probably not going to have a good time at this show because there's some really obscure... not Well, not obscure, because a lot of these things were singles. They just kind of got forgotten about once they really got moving.
0: Yeah, right. And so I'm like, all right, well, I, that might be cool to see. They played The Roundhouse, I think, maybe the first summer I was here. Which is mm-hmm. a place that they played way back in the day, and it was kind of a, a Pink Floyd haunt in the '60s. And then I think it was at Christmas time they put out like the a live album and, and DVD of that tour, like a, a double CD and a DVD, and it had interviews with them. And the band is is pretty interesting, you know. And I, I got that for Christmas. The guy Lee Harris, who's one of their guitar players, I guess he grew up in the shadow. Of, of Royal Albert Hall and grew up a huge Pink Floyd fan. And then he kind of got talking to Guy Pratt. Uh, and Guy Pratt, of course, has really been in Pink Floyd for the last 35 years, right? He was on Delicate Sound of Thunder Tour. He played on Division Bell and on the Pulse Tour. He has played with David Gilmour, basically on all of his solo tours over the years and records. He's now played with Nick Mason. I think he may have played with Roger Waters at some point. Not to mention he's married to Rick Wright's daughter, and Rick Wright is his son's grandfather, the late Rick Wright. So he's legit Pink yes. Floyd. And so Lee Harris came to him and said, I got this idea for Nick to do this. And and guy's like, Okay, well yeah, we'll go to we'll go have lunch with Nick. That'll be fun. Always good to lunch with Nick. And it turned out Nick was kind of into it. So they They started to put it together. They put this guy, Dom Beckham, Beckham, rather, on on keyboards, and then on guitar, lead guitar and vocals, because the vocals are really between Guy Pratt and Gary Kemp. Of course, Gary Kemp, to most all Americans, he is the guitar player, lead singer, lead songwriter, rather, of Spando Ballet, who Mm -hmm. in America is kind of a one-hit wonder. They know true, and that's it. But over here, they've had a couple dozen hits. They were kind of in that New Romantics wave with Duran Duran. They were very much kind of on their level in the early to mid-80s there. And, of course, Gary, that shocked a lot of people. was like, Gary Kemp's not a badass, you know, psychedelic guitar player. He makes these (laughs) pop songs. Like, that's not right. But Gary and Guy had gotten to be friends and were buddies for a long time. Of course, I've gotten to know them for their podcast, The Rock on Tours, which is a great... Show we've talked about it on our show here over the years, and it's inspired us to to revisit acts and listen to albums. So yeah, they took it out a couple years ago, and then they wanted to do it again, but then of course COVID came and stopped it and postponed it for two two and a half years. So this show was more than two years or so
2: in the making, and it's interesting too because when I go back and look at the songs that they've got in there, really this band had two pretty specific. I don't know if you want to call them acts or phases. You know, you had the original Sid Barrett years, and in looking at the the set list here, he was pretty prolific in writing a lot of these tunes. Yes, and so then he had some mental problems. He had some. He just became detached from the band and kind of just Reality. drifted away. That's what he was detached they picked from, up, Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it was a it was a very sad to to read his what happened to him was was sad he just didn't want to be there anymore just couldn't couldn't fit in they picked up david gilmore and that went pretty well yeah they, they had a lot they had their commercial success with him so but just two different different really just two different acts in the band you kind of wonder how they would have if if Barrett had stayed there, would he have continued to dominate? You know, or did, did Roger Waters get to kind of come up after he was he had kind of moved out, and then he and Gilmore took it from there?
0: Yeah, it's worthy of going through a little bit of the history here because, yes, when Pink Floyd first got together out of Cambridge in the kind of mid-60s, and they're doing some psychedelic freak-out stuff, Sid Barrett was absolutely the leader. Like, you know, good-looking guy, always had a good-looking girlfriend, was kind of very artistic, had cool clothes, had a guitar around, and would come up with these things and some great chord sequences and some interesting offbeat kind of lyrics, some of the very counterculture or deviant, you know, kind of Mm -hmm. thing. And they did have those, those early kind of hits, almost like pop hits when you talk about Arnold, Lane, which is a guy running around grabbing girls' panties off the <laughs> clothesline or something like that and see Emily play. And it was cool that we we go by Sound Technique Studio, which was like an old dairy <laughs> processing place or whatever. Was it a, a meat factory? Yeah, I think it was a dairy in Chelsea there. Uh, that 's where they recorded those. we got to see that on our tour that we talked about on our reunion episode number seventy one I think it was so and then they started to get into albums. Well, Piper, The Gates of Dawn is kind of regarded as a masterpiece of the psychedelic era, but their next album he was already starting to go downhill and very quickly and so by the time they started doing their second album, Saucer Full of Secrets, they had to get David Gilmore in to do you know some guitar work and do some backing vocals. And Sid didn't even really finish the record. And I think one day they're supposed to get Sid to go to the show. And sometimes in these past months, sometimes he would just stand there on the stage and really not be doing anything or whatever. And eventually he was like, one day, should we go get Sid? And like, nah, Mm. don't worry about Mm. it. Yeah. I'm not going to let his mental health screw up. We got something good going here. So, so there's kind of the four eras of the band. There's the early part, which Sid is leading them and he's doing all the writing. And even after he leaves, they continue to use some of his songs. Mm-hmm. Like Jug Band Blues, you know, ends up later on, you know, i um, or a Gummer or more, wherever that ends up. They, they kind of continue to use his stuff and his inspiration. Then the band figures out, you know, some stuff together. Like, you know, Echoes is this whole side of an album uh, on metal and it's all four of them together. And yes, sometimes Roger writes songs and sometimes David writes songs. Sometimes Rick and Nick write mm-hmm. songs together, you know, so it's like, that's the second phase where they're kind of finding it together, kind of through Dark Side of the Moon, although at that point Roger is maybe taking more of a step forward. It's still all three of them. I'm sorry, it's still all four of them. But then by the time your wish we you were here, Roger's putting his stamp on it more. Certainly Animals is mostly Roger. The mm-hmm. wall is famously yeah. Roger, except for the co-write of Comfortly Numb, basically, and then everybody's favorite in the Final Cut's all Roger. <laughs> So there was there was the Sid Barrett phase, the kind of group phase, the Roger phase, and then the Latter day phase, which is where we came in, is the David Gilmore led phase. Mm-hmm. So we're we're looking all these songs that I'm seeing or that I'm hearing from Nick Mason's saucer full of secrets All came from the Sid Barrett and the early stages of the guys figuring it out together as a group pre Dark Side of the Moon. Now, I didn't get the tickets. Like, you know, I had the Genesis tickets for two and a half years, right? And I had the Simple Minds tickets for two and a half years that finally came. I didn't get those tickets uh, for Nick Mason Sauce Full Secrets because they got gobbled up pretty fast. And then, you know, it went away, you know, and it got postponed. You can't do 2020, can't do 2021. All right, 2022, it comes back. I wanted to see them, but I hadn't really put any thought in it because all of a sudden I'm going to see Genesis, I'm going to see Simple Minds, I'm going to see Sting, and uh, kind of all at once. So I notice uh, on the Rock on Tours, because I follow them on Twitter, and they're like, oh, you know, we're we're going to have Nick back on the show, our first two-time guest, because we're back on the road. It's going to be a road show kind of thing. I'm like, oh, they, they are touring again. Okay, Well, let me just see when they're coming to London. This is on a Thursday. They're coming to London on Saturday. Oh, okay. Well, yeah, it's not going to be easy, maybe, to get tickets to that. But so I I go ahead and look on. I look on the sites that will resell tickets. And there's one that's, you know, seat, lower level, like first row of the lower level. The, the, The floor is basically GA. But then there's seats around the oval. And I was like, front row seats and relatively close the stage. And I saw they would sell me one because not everybody will sell you just one ticket. If they have a pair, they want to sell them both. But this guy would sell one. So I text my wife, we're going to see Sting that night. And I already took her to Genesis and Simple Minds within the last month. We're going to see Sting this night. And I'm like, hey, I really want to see this Nick Mason thing on Saturday. Not asking her, will she go with me? (laughs) Asking, can I just go and you take care of the kids? She didn't take it that way. She thought I was inviting her on a date. She's like, well, let's talk about it tonight. I'm like, oh, but I might lose this ticket. Okay, you're right. And so I don't get it. Then we get together at the Palladium for Sting, and I'm and she's like, I don't think I can do Saturday night, you know, after tonight. I'm like, well, I don't even want you to. I just want to be able to
2: go myself. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so she's oh okay well that's no problem. So I go on the thing and that ticket's gone. I'm like, "Oh jeez. All right. Well, that was StubHub. They can't help me." I go to this place via GoGo, and this is basically front row right next to the stage. And it was only like 59 quid. So we're talking about 80 bucks. So wow. I just boom, I'm at I'm I'm in the Palladium waiting for Sting to go on. I'm frantically pressing buttons (laughs) on my phone, getting this to happen. And I'm like so psyched, you know? So it's like, God, I spent $1,000 on two Genesis tickets and had to wait two years, two and a half years to finally be able to see him, whatever it was. And then in two days for 80 quid, I get to sit front row, my first ever Royal Albert Hall show and seeing Nick Mason, part of Pink Floyd, um, not to mention his band, who's going to play all this great music. So... I went from, God, I, I think I'd like to see that, to, oh my God, this is going to be amazing. <laughs> I can't wait. And, and look, I, we'll, we'll talk about this later. Didn't disappoint. A very, very special night in my history of going to see rock shows. And I've seen hundreds of them. This is very special. This is a big moment way up
2: there. So why would... So, okay, so you got the ticket, ready to go. Mm-hmm. You now. So it, So it's big because you want to see the show, number one. But number two, I mean... It doesn't get much bigger than Royal Albert Hall.
0: Well, exactly. Yeah, I mean, I remember when I visited London the first time, I think it was 1994, and we were walking in Hyde Park, and then, you know, you get to this big statue, and then right across the street is Royal Albert Hall, I'm like, oh, that's... That's where Cream did their farewell concert from. And mm. like, everybody's played there. Like Clapton had, I think, recently released the, the 24 Nights, where he sold out 24 nights at, at Royal Hour Hall over the course yeah. of a month. So it was a live album that he released around that time. Like, wow, you know, that's like, how many are in there? Well, it's 5,200 seats. Goodness, he sold out 24 nights? That's like 130,000 tickets or something crazy like that. So I remember getting my picture taken there, but there was nothing going on, so we couldn't go to a show there. So when I moved here, I'm like, i got to go see something at Royal Albert Hall. I tried to get Mark Knopfler tickets, and they went super-duper fast. And then I had bought, as we've talked about on the show before, I bought 12 different shows for 2020 that all got canceled or postponed. And in a week's time, in like May and June of 2020, I was supposed to see Jeff Beck, Peter Frampton, and Yes!, Within about ten days of each other, all at Royal Albert Hall. Well, Peter Frampton eventually canceled his tour. I think he's he's redone some dates. I don't know if he's going back to Royal Albert Hall, but I, I, you know, I, I didn't worry about that. Jeff Beck, I see next month or I see in May, um, whenever this comes out, and then I am going to see Yes in June. But so for a couple few years there, I'm like, God, I'm not going to get to see Royal yeah. Albert Hall. When's it ever going to happen? So to have never been set foot in Royal Albert Hall before, to then basically sit on the stage <laughs> i was basically on the stage it was it was unbelievable unbelievable well, so the, okay so that's good
2: it did not disappoint it was everything that you thought it was going to be when you got in there a- absolutely you know the
0: place is beautiful it's, it's huge i mean 5200 it's 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 either an enormous theater or it's a small arena it's, it's kind of how you want to look at it but it is quite fancy i mean you know you look at how to, all those amazing boxes all the way around, you know, Mm -hmm. several tiers of boxes. So there's the the people on the floor, which is a big oval. There's the lower level or the stalls, which they call it over here, that I was a part of. And then they have several levels of, of fancy boxes. They have an upper level of seats, and then they have even more boxes above that. But just the history, I mean, if you run through everyone who's played there over the years, it's absolutely everybody, and it's, it's even because, pre-rock and roll, because the thing's 150 years old, Victoria dedicated to Albert, I think, in, in 1871 or something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, just like big bands and politicians and you know everyone who has been set foot in there is just dripping, dripping with history. And to be able to walk right in and walk to easily... The best seat in the house. There was no one else. If there's 5,200 people in there, 5,199 had a worse seat than I did, Man, It was <laughs> unbelievable. It really was.
2: And the thing, too, that it was not outrageously expensive. That's pretty exciting, too, that you bought it secondhand.
0: Well, yeah. I mean, I think it's one of those things. And there's been a couple of times when I've been lucky enough to get front row seats. And it's usually someone who... It's either, you know, they hold a lot of tickets back for like radio stations or Mm -hmm. friends of the band, stuff like that. They'll hold them. And then uh, if they haven't given them all away or there's not enough interest or something like that, then they release them, you know, late before the show. Sometimes it's also these days people have season ticket passes. Like you, you pay an enormous fee and you have right of first refusal on everything. Right. right and yeah. then you can sell them back originally or you intend to go and then for whatever reason you can't go anymore right you're going to be out of town or you or whatever's going to happen and then you resell them so i have a feeling that that's what it was like somebody who had the the season tickets or were always had them and then realized, okay you know what i can't go i wanted to go two years ago can't do it now so i'll just put it out there just need to get my money back or get something back for them mm-hmm. and so yeah it tiny little fee i mean Sting was what a hundred bucks, a hundred quid rather, which is like hundred thirty dollars or something like that. And this was sixty quid. Um, okay. So yeah. kind, of, kind of amazing, really. Yeah,
2: yeah, and especially last minute like that. I know. So what was so what was so great about this seat? You said it's the best seat in the house. Like, did you okay? Did you know that was going to be when you uh, that great when you bought it? Or were you, when you got to the seat and actually sat down, you said, I can't believe this is way better than I thought it was going to be.
0: Well, and there's another reason they may have held it because right, right in front of me, there is, there was, to the side of me, there is a pole where they have lighting on it to light the guys, right? There's like a huge hmm. tripod and then a big pole with a light on the top of it. And then lower, kind of in my view, was another big round kind of spotlight, which honestly did obscure Nick Mason's face from me for most of the show now if i shifted or if i stood up i could see him easily but i was on the same level as the band like the stage and my step were the same exact level okay so when i stood up i was eye contact with them right and so i could step down one step to go to the seats in front of me but they're a little lower and they're a little behind Mm -hmm. um and if i took two steps then i was on the stage and if i took eight steps i was face to face with gary capp so I was that close, not to mention this seat swiveled, okay, because it kind of points to the middle, but then the stage is over here to my right, so it spun, and so did, okay. I think, the seats next to me, at least for a while, you know, for a ways down. So I I, I was kind of looking in the middle, and then I spin, and I'm like, okay, now I'm right here on the same level with the band, and it wasn't really loud. I think partially because they don't need to blow out Nick Mason was 78 years. I mean, he's, he's really old. They don't need to do that, but I'm not in front of the speakers. The speakers are up high uh, mm. and, and they're not blasting it. They're not trying to blow anybody away, but the speakers are up high. I'm down here. I'm basically hearing the monitors that the band hears on the stage.
2: Okay. Okay. That's pretty cool. You know, the other thing I was thinking about too, is a lot of times when they, when they book these arenas, they don't know what the stage is going to look like. So they right. they have to hold back tickets, and then they say, "Oh, now wait a minute. We can put some more seats in the front because we thought it was going to be different. So right. that could have been a that could have been a factor also.
0: And somebody who was really there to see Nick Mason, like I want to look at old man Nick Mason, look at his face the whole time he's drumming. Mm-hmm. They might not have loved my seat because I, I I couldn't see him that clearly all the time. I could see all the other four guys just fine, but I couldn't always see him. And he would stand up and introduce some songs and. Obviously introduced the band and things like that. And they came to the stage a couple times to bow because they have a break. You know, they have a Mm -hmm. a kind of break in the middle there. But I I can't imagine anyone getting these, especially getting them at the last second and and being the least bit disappointed at all, to be honest. Excellent.
2: Excellent. So, no opening acts?
0: No, and I I feel like that's becoming a trend, especially with these legacy bands. You know, it it used to be you you try to get as many on there and you got to warm up the crowd and all that kind of stuff. But now it's like, who else is like Rush? Well, nobody. Let's just do an evening with Rush, right? Yeah. Who else is like Nick Mason? Like, well, there's nobody really with that gravitas, you know, to do this. Plus, these songs go on forever, so they could do a nice long show. And it was more than two and a half hours. I mean, now the break was kind of long, so I'd say it was more than two hours. But being there, I was there almost three hours, uh, and it was it was pretty amazing.
2: Yeah, and you figure too, like now it's not. It was back in the day, you would take somebody on tour either because you like them or the record company said, "Hey, we want to promote whoever it was." you don't really need that anymore with, you know, with the internet and YouTube and everything else, you can get the message out there. So you're right. I don't want to, I don't want to haul these people around and pay for it. And cause you know, you've got to, you always had the setup at the front you know, you had three feet or whatever, if you were the opening band, then you had to take all that down and, you know, pull everything off. So, yeah, let's just put a movie on or just say the doors open it instead of the doors opening at seven. They open at eight. We go on at eight thirty. Have
0: a yeah. nice day. Well, and plus the crowd. I mean, again, I'm on the younger side of the crowd. I mean, it looked like most everybody who was standing at the barrier down on the general admission floor were all older than me. But mm-hmm. you know they don't—they don't need an opening act. They don't want to be there yeah. for four and a half hours. They're there to see Nick Mason. Just give them Nick Mason. That's fine, you know. And I, yeah. I, I think you're going to see that a lot more, especially as bands get a little bit. Older. I mean, I, you know, you do an arena tour, it, it generally makes sense. But doing a big theater tour, yeah, just just do it yourself. Mm-hmm. I say.
2: And the other thing too, you got to figure that probably most of the people that would see this would probably be older than us anyway, because we were the the well, really uh, momentary lapse. But I mean, so it takes well, so kind take of the last generation
0: even... of teenagers right to get into. They're still making music, Pink Floyd. right? Correct.
2: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I knew I knew people. I mean, I knew people when I was in high school that really got into the old stuff, mm-hmm. but I think they just did that more for like to be s o l well. You know, you're not really a fan if you don't listen to obscure.
0: Like, Cl- okay, right.
2: you know what? You just take it easy there.
0: Yeah, just give me the wall and give me dark <laughs> side of the <laughs> moon. I, you know, you, right. you listen to music from the film more which no one has ever seen and you know (laughs) enjoy yourself there don't smoke too much you know but uh, but but the whole night was really kind of magical it was a beautiful london evening i leave the house And I was thinking I would take a cab down to the Hard Rock, which is on the, let's call it the northeast side of Hyde Park. And then I would walk through Hyde Park and then, because it's kind of on the south central side of Hyde Park. And I'm like, well, no, but I don't want to be late. So I just, I start walking, I jump in the tube and I just go walk, 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 walk. And I get there and I I understand this usually starting about 745 and I'm getting to Royal Albert Hall and it's 741. and. I'm lucky because I walk right up to the right door, but there's nobody walking in except for me. I'm like, oh god, am I late or am I super early or like, because yeah. there's there's no one else at the door. Like I remember Genesis, it took us 20 minutes to get through the line, and then now I just I walk right in, show my thing, boom, and yeah, it was 7:41 outside. I show my thing, I walk in, I was pretty close to my seats. I walk down to the fancy section, I walk down the steps, and I basically sit on the stage at 7:44 and. The, the kind of warm-up music song. <laughs> and by 746, you know, you hear the bass did one of these days, do 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 guys slapping it. And then they all walk on stage, and a guy slapping his bass like, oh, my God, I just timed that, like, perfectly. Just walk right in the door, sit down, front row, they start the show. It was unbelievable. <laughs> They were waiting for you. If you didn't know better, you would have thought <laughs> that they were, honest <laughs> to God. Walk in the door, thousands of people sitting there waiting. It's like, oh, all right, Max here. Yeah. All right, let's go ahead. Yeah. Go ahead. Right. Hit the, Everybody base, ready, ready to yeah. Start.
2: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So it starts in, I mean, I've got to imagine at this point in time, it must've sounded fantastic because they've got the, they've got the sound dialed in and everybody's a pro here and it's a pro. It's not like, um you know, you go to some arenas where it's like a basketball arena. And so they kind of have to reconfigure it to put in music and bring in the PAs and everything. But at this place, it was built for a musical concert and oh you've got God. these guys who are all pros. So, I mean, I can imagine the sound was fantastic.
0: Yeah, and they've been doing it, uh, I don't know, a couple of weeks, at least a week and a half or so before they got to London. You know, they they did some tour, you know, a little bit of it already around the nation there. So they've warmed up, and yeah, they, they've they done it before, so they come right out, and and yeah, and they're right on it, man. And look, Guy Pratt's bass is awesome. He has killer bass tone, mm-hmm. and he is right, right Right on it. And honestly, all, it's obviously Nick Mason's Saucerful of Secrets. He was in, Nick, in Pink Floyd all those years. He's the only man who's always been in Pink Floyd. He's co-written all those songs and played on all those albums. But I'm pretty sure that Guy is the band leader. He, he's, he's in charge. Really,
2: huh? Of of making sure
0: everybody's on point and everything, because he's not as old as Nick, you know, you know, done it. You know, he's kind of in charge to me.
2: Yeah, I think at that point in time, unless you're like this, you know, maniacal a type personality. It's probably easier that way. I mean, you're the star of the show, but yeah, I don't have time for all the rest of the stuff. I just need to show up and, you know, where's the drum kit? Cool. Where are my sticks? I'm going to sit down. Yeah. You don't need to be chasing people down. You don't need to be screaming at the sound people. That's, that's, you know, for some, let somebody else be the hatchet man. So yeah, that's makes sense
0: to leave that to guy does make a lot of sense. And guy has a lot of energy. He is fun. On stage, you know, you know, he he's walking around and he hops around. He's just trying to get smiles out of the guys like this is supposed to be fun. Right. Mm -hmm. You know, so it's not just, oh, yeah, Gary, let's jam. It's like (laughs) I'll make a goofy face at you, Gary. Make sure, you know, you're having fun. I'm gonna make sure Nick's doing well. But there was also a point, man, where I think Nick. And again, I don't know these songs back and forth like I do the latter day stuff. Okay, Mm -hmm. but I could just tell something Might have been a little off. Like he hit something and then he hit it again. I'm like, well, that didn't sound quite right. Like he he tapped the symbol twice or he tapped it out of time or something like that. And Guy did look around when that happened to look Mm -hmm. at him to make sure he was all right, to make sure he knew where he was and and knew what he was doing. And that to me showed me like that's, that's Guy's in charge. Because Guy is the one who knows it up and down and and he can nudge Nick, no no no, you know, Nick you're supposed to do this at this point or you're supposed to double beat here, not not later, kind of thing. So it just that was proof to me that Guy was in charge of the band.
2: Yeah, and and, and he's I'm sure his deal is if something does go horribly wrong he's got to pick up the pieces to make sure that it's you kind of mitigate the damage like so mm-hmm. this sort of thing that, so it doesn't come totally apart
0: yeah no absolutely you know and also he's um he's singing he's singing lead yeah. on most of the songs either together with Kemp or you know dual kind of back and forth kind of thing uh right. so it was it was yeah it was it was really amazing That's- you know that's not, that's
2: nuts to me because you've you've heard these songs so many times that you know the way that they go, and I'm just talking about in general, not so much for because you said you weren't a hundred percent familiar with every note of every song, right? But it's a live performance; things mm-hmm. are going to happen. As yes. like we talked about on the last show, at the beginning of the cult show, Billy's stuff was off or down or something, and the rest of the band they knew they could they could adjust okay we need to play the first refrain again basically right. extend it out so that we can get this fixed without having this big you know calamity of okay everybody stop let's start again you just kind of you know you just kind of read the room and you you ease it okay hold on we need a little bit of this And then, you know, we'll go from there. Yeah, or like
0: when I saw Sting and he starts singing the third verse to message in a bottle instead of the second, (laughs) and a few words in, he's like, oh, that's not the right verse, you know? But he (laughs) needs to keep playing the bass and then eventually pick up where the the right lyrics came in, you know? So that's part of being a pro, too. It's not that you never make a mistake. It's that you minimize them, and then when they do happen – you can run with it right, right. you can you, it doesn't stumble you're like oh fuck me. everybody stop yeah, yeah yeah
2: yeah yeah it, it shows over we can't do this anymore yeah but right. but yeah, but yeah it, it, you get to the point especially nick you know uh, where you get to the point in your life where you're like yeah i can't i'm not interested in it's not that i'm not interested in playing but there's that whole other managing thing i i don't i'm not doing this anymore <laughs>
1: Hi, this is Christy alexander Hallberg, author of the novel Searching for Jimmy Page, and you're listening to the Ugly American Werewolf in London rock podcast. Hey folks, Stefan Shirazi and Renee Richardson here from the Metallica Report. And we are proud members of the Pantheon podcast family, where the best of music and podcasts unite.
2: We've got something pretty cool for you.
0: And just like that, you're eligible for our monthly
2: exclusive Metallica merch package.
1: And guess what, rockers? You can enter every month. So just do it. And while we love our global brothers and sisters, the lawyers won't let us ship outside the
0: U.S. Yeah, so it, it was, you know, it was cool, you know, and so the first set, you know, they start with One of These Days and Arnold Lane, which I know, you know, those are mm-hmm. pretty big Pink Floyd songs, and then they get into some stuff that I don't know that well, like Fearless, and I've heard the record Obscure by Clouds, I didn't know the song that well, and they played that, and but then they also played some of the, the weirder Sid Barrett stuff, yeah. like Candy and a Current Bun, which may have been a <laughs> side, and Vegetable Man, <laughs> Vegetable Man. I'm like, this is obviously a Sid Barrett weirdo song, but it's, <laughs> it's it's funny, you know. But then they get into If, and If is a really pretty song, and then they do Adam Hart, Mother, which is this long suite of music, and they, they do that for many, many minutes. And, you know, Gary's doing all sorts of amazing things. Gary... Dude, you would have freaked out at Gary's rig. Gary's rig was like nothing I've ever really seen before. All right. Well, let's let's talk about that then. He had two different pedal boards. One of them was big and fancy. One was a little smaller and mm-hmm. next to it. But then in addition to that, he had this stand-up thing that he can control with his hand. So it's like he could get on a note and then he can <laughs> and do crazy psychedelic freak-out things with it and hold notes and, and, huh. and do all sorts of strange stuff. It was like... He had another mixer or something right there for him that he could do all these sounds with his guitar. Not to mention when he got to set the controls for the Heart of the Sun, he had, which I can only describe as what looked like a digital pick. It was almost like a phone or a battery pack, but a little thicker than that. And it had two little blue lights coming out of it. And he would hold that over the strings or maybe over the pickups to make different sounds and he did it for set the controls for the heart of the sun and then he did it some more in the second set i'm like i don't even know what that is
2: huh interesting
0: okay weird now i asked so they play set the controls for the heart of the sun which which i did know i kind of got familiar with that have you ever seen the video pink Floyd live in pompeii Mm -hmm. yeah yes so I got the DVD of that, you know, decade and a half ago, whenever that was. And I got really into it. Like, oh, this is Pink Floyd before they really hit, you know, before, before they were the biggest band in the whole world, they were good, but, you know, not necessarily crazy. Huge. And I remember set the controls and part of Echoes, uh, being part of of that as well, childhoods and stuff like that. But so so they finished the set, and I asked the guy next to me, "What was that thing that he had?" And he started telling me. But then people were walking out because they need to go to the bathroom or they're going to get their beer. It's the break, you know. People were yeah. during the break between sets, and he told me. So then I just started talking to the guy. He's an American, huh. yeah, and he's in from San Francisco, and he works at Facebook of all places and he was supposed to leave on a Saturday and he got pushed back to Sunday he's like all right well if I'm here on a Saturday night what's going on in Saturday pretty much like me like the day before I got my ticket he got his or maybe the same day I don't know and so he ended up sitting next to me and he was a cool guy we we talked for a long time you know so it's just random who you meet uh, in London you never know who's going to be around here but it was it was cool and then we were, t- we were just remarking about how great Gary Kemp was on the guitar and how he fit in so well and how I, I thought it was rude that I get it in America because in America you're one song and, you know, true, eh. Anyone can play that you know you don't have to be an amazing guitar player to play that but to play all this stuff and use that digital pick and all that other stuff. you kind of have to be a bit of a maestro and the the papers and the reviews around here are all like, God, who knew Gary Kemp was such a good guitar player i'm like well that's rude he 's been doing it forty five years's years been a professional like musician you know,
2: pretty much my entire life
0: uh, pretty pretty high level there, yeah, although many Americans will know him best as the manager from Whitney houston's The Bodyguard. Cy. <laughs> <laughs> um was like, got shot. Well not on my watch. Um, but, uh, but no, but you know he he's a great musician. And obviously he's buddies with Pratt. Pratt's the real deal. So Pratt wouldn't have him in the band if he couldn't do it. But there were so many times during the show because literally, dude, like you can see me in my living room right now. He was closer to me than my bedroom. I mean, if if I'm here, the bed was Gary Kemp, you know. And so I'm watching him intently the whole show because, you know, I'll do that for a guitar player anyway. I figure, well, I'm going to watch Guy. I'm going to watch Nick. No man, I'm watching Gary the whole show, and the more it went on, I'm like, God damn it! I didn't know Gary Kemp was such a good <laughs> guitar player. You know, he's, he's so good. And it, it let's—he's not doing crazy arpeggios. He's not doing sick blues riffs, fiddly bits. No, but he's making an amazing soundscape, and and he is doing some amazing guitar work there. Not to mention, he's an amazing singer. He's—I mean—he's more of a singer than Pratt even i feel like he was doing most of the david gilmore stuff whereas the higher parts yeah guy can do roger and sid kind of stuff but but he's doing david gilmore who is the voice of pink floyd so did he was there only one guitar player no that other guy lee harris was was the guy the guy who went to guy and then nick to say this is what you really ought to do Hmm. and and it was cool because he told a story It's like, look, I grew up in a mansion block around the corner from here. Like, I could see the stage door from our place as a kid, and I would fantasize about playing Royal Albert Hall one day and, like, seeing Pink Floyd there. Because, I mean, Pink Floyd hadn't played there since the late 60s. It had been more than 50 years since Nick had played there. Because at that point, they had graduated to bigger shows. You know, you
2: you say 24 nights, they could have sold out 100 nights during the uh maybe so you know, the wall you know, yeah era
0: absolutely well you couldn't put on the wall
2: there it's not big enough okay there. it's gonna be it's gonna be like it's gonna be like spinal tap
0: right. it's really small unless they did it like lengthwise they just bifurcate the place you know it was like only 500 people can see the show but yeah no i mean that's the thing he's like well i first played here in 1966 for Oxfam. Was anyone here? I'm like, yeah, my parents were dating, dude. You gotta be kidding me. Oxfam. Wow. But see, then that was cool because, and that's the part I should have recorded. I don't really like to record videos of the shows. I might take some snaps for a souvenir or something like right, that. Right, yeah. But A, I think it's annoying when people do it. They put it up in your face now you can't see the show because they're recording. B, I've got an iPhone 6. I don't have the like the latest and greatest, so it's gonna it's not gonna look amazing when I do it. But then I'm like, God, I am right here. You know, I've got to mm-hmm. take some video of this. So I took some video of them playing, but what I really should have been taping was in the middle when they would talk about stuff, because a guy came up there at some point, and said, you know, uh, and I have to say that I'm, I, I've been around, I've been playing this man for 35, 36 years, and very prescient of Nick Mason to decide to do a song for the benefit of Ukraine, and just put those two words, Pink Floyd, on the front of it. And then that changes things, and it gives them an opportunity to get some aid to the Ukrainians. I'm like, well, you know, that's mm-hmm. a good point, because they could have put that song out under Nick Mason's saucy Full of Secrets or whatever, but you get Guy, you get David Gilmore in there, uh, you get this Ukrainian guy to kind of do his thing over the top of it, it's not their best work, no, but you just put the name Pink Floyd on it, and it can generate millions of dollars for a good right. cause, you know? right. Well, and we we were talking
2: about talking about that a little bit on the simple minds video or uh, show that we did. You know, you get to the point where, yeah, your name and your voice is now at a point where it carries so much more weight mm-hmm. that yeah, I mean, it's gotta feel pretty good that you can do that, that you can just you know, like you said, put your two words on there and and make a big difference in the world and it's I, I like too when they they do a little more crowd work like i know sometimes like it'll bring the energy down it, for a high if you got a high octane show you don't you can't really have somebody come on there and be like you know um really glad to be here in you know look at the card st louis right. and you know it's but but a lot of times when i like it when they when they talk about the songs and you kind of introduce them so you you get ready in your mind to hear what's next.
0: Right. You know, and the thing is guy is got a great personality. You know, he can be the leader of the band. He can step Mm -hmm. out and talk, but obviously Gary Kemp can too, as elites, as a singer, you know, and as a master of ceremonies and that kind of thing. So you can feel some of the interplay that they, you get on the show on the rock on tours. They're doing some of that on stage as well. And it was great when they did, um, Arnold Lane. And they talk about, you know, guys like, you know, Gary, the last time, and I was here for it because he was in David Gilmour's band, uh, the last time that song was played in this building was in 2006 or 2007 when I was on tour with David Gilmour and David Bowie, your hero, came out and sang it. And I've seen that video. It's pretty famous huh. now. And yeah. that was David Bowie's last public performance. like Oh, jeez. Ever. And huh. Gary goes, Wow. I'm glad you didn't tell me that before. <laughs> I'm glad you didn't say that before the show. I'm like, yeah, that's some cuz like well David Bowie's an icon in America, but he is revered over here. Mm-hmm. Like the, the David Bowie thing is different over here than it is in America. And to that generation of 70s kids that were growing up over here, David Bowie was was huge, and especially for Gary Camp and yeah, I mean, it's been 15 years since anyone played it. Oh, by the way, David Gilmour did it with David Bowie, and then David Bowie died. Uh, you know, so it's like, wow, that's, that's momentous. That is huge. Yeah. So that's cool. But, you know, and then another time, it's like things happened in the 60s and early 70s. Thanks to, thanks to this is Kemp saying, thanks to a certain group of people, and one of the progenitors, one of the architects, is Nick Mason. And we really got to give it up to Nick Mason for creating this music that we all love talking about like progressive music, which has kind of taken over the world in a lot of ways, and you know to give it up and to show some respect for Nick, so you could tell that these guys liked each other, and yeah. and on the d v d you said there weren't tryouts, so there wasn't like oh, what can we get this guy? Can we get this guy? It's like, who wants to do it? All right, we got Gary. I mean, sorry, we got Guy. We got Lee. Uh, Gary's friends with Guy. Okay, yeah, bring Gary in. Get this Dom. Okay, we got our band. Let's go. Uh, It's like kind of an afterthought of putting it together or whatever. But look, man, usually these days, for me, it's all about the escape, especially in America where I'm generally in my car and I've got to get out of a parking lot and I want to avoid the yahoos. So... It's pretty rare these days that I stay to the bitter end. Uh-huh. I at least leave during the middle of the last song if I want to hear it. But if I know what the last song is and I don't care, we're leaving before that, you know, and we're getting out of there and home and dry before everyone else. But I stay till the bitter end, filmed their stage bow and said goodbye and all that because when is this ever going to happen? When again am I going to sit on the stage mm-hmm. of Royal Albert Hall? For a member of Pink Floyd. That's crazy. Yeah, it it, it
2: sounds like everything worked out pretty f- fantastic. The other nice part, too, is that you weren't in, I don't know, uh, someplace where you had to drive, Louisville, yes. Cincinnati, or something like that. You could just get out, you could walk to the tube, you could, I mean, I guess you could have. Yeah, well, you could have gotten a cab, you could have done whatever you had choices. Yeah, there is nothing worse than you know, you're at Giant Stadium, and that freaking line is going oh. to be forever.
0: Yeah, I don't care if you live 20 minutes away, you're not getting home to like. One o'clock in the morning, if you're Correct. leaving at eleven or something like that, you know, if right. you're lucky, you know. So, no, no, it was great. You know, I bolted out of there and it just kind of ran out of there. I'm like, all right, first thing to do, get ten blocks away, just go, mm-hmm. right, and, and get away. I wasn't terribly far away from where you were staying, I guess. When eventually I'm like, well, let me see, if I, I can take the tube, but let me just see if there are any cabs around. And I got one that was a few minutes away, so he, I, I let him take me home. But you know, I was I was home before eleven o'clock. I was home before eleven o'clock, so I, I can't complain. That uh, sounds
2: and, that's it, like if you were to say that to the you know twenty year old us, if you're like, oh, you're so lame, eleven o'clock. That sounds so awesome right now. So, oh, so i would be home at eleven and snuggly in the bed and just go to sleep after. But and after having a good time,
0: yeah, no, it was great. So I mean, you think about that. Leave the house at six forty five. I walk to the tube. I take a couple tubes. I walk you know, the mile or whatever from the tube station to Royal Albert Hall, walk right in mm-hmm. to my extraordinary seat on the stage. And then when it's time to go, I run out, I walk 10 blocks, I get a cab, I'm home before 11. And if I was smart, I would have just gone to bed. But I was so pumped up mm-hmm. that I, I watched the DVD <laughs> from the last tour. And I started drinking. I started drinking <laughs> at a lot <long>, that night. <laughs> Because I'm I, just like on the last show. I'm like I'm smart these days. I don't drink at the show because it's expensive, and you got to go out in line, and you got to pee, and da da da. da. And I want to remember it. And I'm like I did it. I just pulled off the greatest heist in the world. Like eighty bucks to see Nick Mason, Sounds of Full Secrets on the stage. Two days before, woohoo, it's party time now, you know. Now so, let's
2: crash this into the mountain.
0: Yeah, so it was It was maybe 3 a.m. I think it's the latest I've been up. <laughs> except for when I stay up to watch the Super Bowl over here. The latest I, I've been up since I've been over here. But it was totally worth it. The second set, they started with Interstellar Overdrive right into Astronomy Domine. I mean, God, it was huge. And then they did all of Echoes. Is that 23 minutes I don't know what you. Yeah, huge. I think. Yeah,
2: I was, I was. looking at that set list, thinking, yeah, that would be. That's a huge time commitment
0: on that song just to get into it. And to see Gary Kemp put his head back to sing like Gilmore. Oh, I'm like, I was blown away. I'm like, wow, that is heavy duty, man. These guys are great. So
2: okay, let's get into the uh, let's get into the question part of the deal here. Yeah. Uh, and we were going to go with, well, City we got, Venue we got, uh, Why well, You Were Excited we got. So what out of all of them, what was your least favorite song?
0: That's hard to say. I, I didn't have any, there was nothing that I disliked. Mm-hmm. There was just stuff that maybe I didn't know that well. So, and then there's some like, Vegetable Man, it's silly, like I probably wouldn't listen to that. <laughs> um, but I don't know that there was anything that I did not like, more stuff that I just did not know. Okay. Um, like, Fearless. I You know, I, I don't know if I could pick out Fear. I heard it, and I don't know if I could pick it out versus other Pink Floyd songs right now. Again, didn't dislike it. It's just like, I, I didn't know that song going in, and I don't remember it. And it's the third song in, so it's like, yeah, maybe that one. I don't know the Nile song very well. And it comes after Interstellar Overdrive and Astronomy Dominic, so I'm like, well, you know, it, it's obviously probably going to take a step down after that, but... <laughs> No real low spots on the night. Okay,
2: so what, then what was your favorite song?
0: That, uh, it might have been Set the Controls for the Heart of the Sun just because it was so spacey. And looking at Gary use that odd, that laser pick. I'm not sure what it was, that thing. That was cool. And then Echoes. The whole suite of Echoes was, I think, I, I got to say Echoes. Okay. Yeah. Any yeah. disappointments?
2: Other than the fact that it was over?
0: Right. <laughs> so here, here's the one thing. Aside from the fact that I couldn't look straight at Nick Mason the whole time, I could see his kid. I could see his hands. I couldn't always see his face. That's a small disappointment. I built it up in my mind that, hey, we're in London. You might just get a special guest star in London. It's not beyond the realm Uh, of possibility that that could happen. Of course, they talked about, you know, I played here 15 years ago with David Gilmour, and it's like (laughs) we know... We Do know, you here now? Yeah, Well, you know, I let that creep yeah. into my mind, you know, and they yeah. just made a single together. It's not like they're on bad terms. They just made a video together. They took photos, you know, to promote it. So to Gilmore's around, it's not insane. I mean, Gilmore showed up and did a show with Roger Waters on his wall tour and they hate mm-hmm. each other. Right. So yeah. I'm like, it's, it's not crazy to think that David Gilmore or someone could just show up for one, too. So if that's the biggest disappointment, something I invented in my brain that could happen, which (laughs) didn't, or that I couldn't see this seventy-eight, how old year old drummer he is, face all the time. That's that's the biggest. If that's the biggest disappointment, that's not a disappointment at all.
2: Okay, and so I guess we answered the other question too. Would you see them again? Would I
0: see them again? (sighs) Honestly, I don't know. Not because I didn't like it. I loved it, but there's no way I'm going to have the same. Quality of seats, mm. again, I mean, that, that's impossible. This is a once-in-a-lifetime kind of thing. Unless I pay a thousand quid for it, which I'm not willing to do. I don't love the music that much, right? You know, it, I, I mean, I loved it. I enjoyed the show. Highlight, I put it, it's got to be my top five shows of all time. But a lot of that's wow. just the specialness of being in Royal Albert Hall, the incredible position of my seat, and then the gravitas of having a member of Pink Floyd, really too. I, I count Guy Pratt as a as a member uh, of Pink Floyd. Maybe not one of the iconic writing members, but toured with them when I saw Pink Floyd back in the day. So mm-hmm. you know, uh, it, it was incredibly special. It's like you, you know you're going to move to London. You want to be able to see some shows. You want to be able to go to the historic Hammersmith Odeon, or which is now called something else, or Wembley, or and which has been redone too, right? But Royal Albert Hall is still Royal Albert Hall. It's still the same one that the Beatles played. You know, It's still the same one that Cream said farewell. to still the same one that that so many have played over the years. So that just made it super special. But would I see them again? I don't know. Not on this tour because I feel like it can't get any better. There's no way I can get a better show, right? Because they're all psyched to be in London. It is a special place for them. The town, the venue. Oh, this is the first time he's played in fifty-two years or something, fifty-three. Oh my God, are you kidding me? That's that's unbelievable. So I, I don't know. I don't. I don't. I'm not dying to. I feel like I checked that box with the yeah, biggest, I mean. fattest check you can check. <laughs> you know what I
2: mean? And I, and I guess too that you were talking about surprises. I guess the the biggest one was watching Gary play the guitar.
0: Honestly, yeah. Uh, seriously, seeing how great Gary was. And seeing what a performer Guy is, those two together are great. And and obviously, Nick's not going to do this forever. He just didn't want to retire. He wanted to go have some fun before he did eventually say, okay, that's it, Grandpa's not going on the road anymore kind of thing. But it would be a shame if Gary and Guy didn't continue to do something together, for sure. And I would see David Gilmore again, which generally means you're going to get Guy and you might get Phil Manzanera or somebody like that instead of Gary Kemp. Mm-hmm. But... I, I you get used to get Rick Wright before he passed away, which is yeah. kind of amazing. But I would definitely go see David Gilmore at some point. I don't know. This, this might be a great way to open and close the book on Nick Mason's Saucer Full of Secrets.
2: Okay. Well... I'm glad you had a good time. It, it's interesting that all of this came for as much hype as as you've given the rest of these shows that you had tickets for. Genesis,
0: oh my god!
2: <laughs> yeah, you know the the one that the one that kind of snuck up on you was you know top five of
0: all time. And that's that just it, it's part of why I stayed up so late. I was just so full of joy. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like I wasn't even going to do this. I was thinking maybe I'd see him at some point and I'd sit through it and I'd leave before the encore and that kind of thing. And then you get there and you're sitting on the stage and uh, blah, it blew my <laughs> mind. You know, I couldn't even look at, cause they had visuals. They had some, you know, footage of the band back in the day. And they had some psychedelic stuff basically in some white screens, you know, but I, I didn't have to pay attention to that because I wasn't way in the back. I'm no. looking at the band. I'm he- seeing them hit every fret. You know, I'm hearing them crystal clearly. I'm watching the keyboard player, make all these different sounds, not only with the keys, but with the kind of piping stuff in and, and stuff like that, and the samples and things like that. And this is unbelievable. This is like us sitting in a bar, except we're seeing Pink Floyd, basically, because <laughs> that's how close we are. Now, mm-hmm. the people in the back, it's a very different experience, but to essentially sit on the stage, I'm in stalls O, 114, row two. I'm telling you, people in row one, were a little further back, plus they sit down a little lower. Row two, seat 114 that swivels towards the stage, I would see anybody in that seat. Okay. And it would probably be pretty pretty good. But it's just such a special night. The history, the camaraderie of the band, how tight they were, what great performers they were. They obviously do it for a love of this music. And look, they don't need my recommendation, but if you got a chance... Go see Nick Mason's Saws Are Full of Secrets, yeah. Absolutely.
2: Okay. Well, I think that uh, that it, it, the only other thing I would say about this is it's interesting to me that you have a band that sold, I mean, in excess of 100 million records. Right. But you didn't play anything from those records. And you, and you had a whole nother set, a whole nother, it's got a whole nother life to it. There are so many bands that they can go out and tour and they can make money, but they only have a specific set of music. This is it. This is all we have. We've got 10, 15 songs, whatever it is. They can reach back and go heavy duty into the catalog and pull from stuff that, that is really more for the hardcore fans. You were talking about the live from Pompeii. Yeah, Video. I remember when I was in high school, that was always kind of the, like, yeah, you've seen Dark Side of the Moon, or you've, you've heard Dark Side of the Moon, you've heard The Wall. But if you really want to be a fan, you've got to watch the Pompeii video on the VHS cassette. Right. Because that's the, that's the-
0: The hardcore
2: love. Yeah, that. the hardcore stuff, right.
0: Yeah. No, and, and you're right. I mean, starting with Dark Side of the Moon, the stuff they recorded the rest of the 70s, that sold 100 million. Like That's what those I'm saying. Four yeah. records, yes. or maybe you could take out animals, and they've sold a hundred million or something like that. You know, so uh, and not to mention the success they had in the kind of the David Gilmore led era of the late '80s and early '90s. So, yeah, you're right; they sold probably 150 million records after everything that I saw on Saturday night. Right? Uh, Was that Saturday, April the 23rd, at Royal Albert Hall? God, what a just a magical night! And if At first, I almost felt bad because like someone who's an enormous Pink Floyd fan or who loves this era should probably have these seats instead of me who Mm -hmm. can talk a little more succinctly about these songs and what they meant. And you know, they ended with bike, you know, and crazy stuff like that. But for someone who's passionate about music who loves Pink Floyd Latter-day and just wants to see, wants to have a good experience before he's sent back to the Midwest of America. (laughs) This was one of the most special nights of
2: my life going to see live music. See, and I would disagree with you on that because... I don't want to sit here and talk to somebody who was like, well, you know, in 1967, they put this thing. I want to talk. I, we, we The show that we want to have is, hey, no, I don't know everything. I couldn't tell you, but I had a great time and I loved it and it was special to me. That's what we're here for. I've talked to people like that before that, like, they can tell you the, the, the history of everything. And it's like, okay, don't be so clinical.
0: Stop it. Right. What was the feel to the show? Was it fun? Yeah, well, they they exactly. not played these two together since 1972. Oh, Okay, yeah, that is interesting. But did it sound <laughs> good when they played it? You know, but that's what mattered. You know, so
2: well, and the other thing too is you know, for us who who have spent years listening to music, and you know, you kind of you've heard it a lot of these songs so many times that you can you can kind of pick out the notes, and I know what's going to come next. But to watch somebody play it live. That really is, and not screw anything up. Like, you know this back and forth. You are right. a professional musician. That, and, and I saw that when I saw the cult. I, I didn't see Billy Duffy miss one note. Now, granted, he's been playing these songs, and he wrote them right. for a million years. But just, just to watch a pro play, it's amazing. It is just amazing. It's a level that I will never be anywhere close to, but I can, I can appreciate that.
0: Yeah, and it... It's communal, although I'm looking down on the people who, you know, got there at 630 or whatever, the doors open, and pushed their way to the front, and were jockeying for space. And, and they're happy, I know, but they've got, let's call it six or eight feet between them and the stage, mm-hmm. and then they've got another 12 feet of stage before they get, you know, to any member of the band, whereas I've got maybe eight, 10 steps, which is not 10 yards at the most. To to be on top of Gary Kemp. If we moved the barriers and moved the keyboards, I'd walk right in their keyboard player Dom in eight or nine steps. You know, I I could walk and shake Nick Mason's hand, you know. So <laughs> it's not just being close, but being on the same level. So when we stood up we're eye to eye. Crazy. Just know, yeah. just a A fun experience. Like, I I think I remember I told you when we saw Clapton. When I saw Clapton the first time, it was in the third row in Cincinnati. And it's the closest I've ever been to a show. And I'm within 20 feet or whatever, 20 yards of of Eric Clapton. He's right there. Nathan East and I are, are pointing at each other, putting up fingers, smiling at each other. I'm like, oh, this is the most amazing... Part of it, it's not just because he had an amazing set list and I love his music, but part of it is because I was that close. I get to see him. Yeah. And that's that's really what this was about, just being that close. And although I was with 5,000 other people, at times I felt like they were just playing to me because no one's sitting to my right and I'm swiveled out from the guy to my left. I'm above the people. There was a there's a young black guy, he was a security guy, who literally sat on the stage. Like I take one <laughs> step, I'm I'm a step down, I take two steps, I'm in his lap. He sat down there. And I'm like, dude, this is going to be the easiest money you ever made. You think any of these 60-year-old white people are going to start a lot of I'm going to rush the state. I, don't, I think this is the easiest gig you're ever going to have. He's like, yeah, man, I'm, I'm not too worried about this crowd.
2: I think he's probably worried more about medical emergencies, just making sure everybody's <laughs> yeah, exactly alive and kicking just, at the end of the show. He
0: just puts in his plugs and he turns his back and sits down. And he's like, look at all these old white people. What is wrong with them? <laughs> Why do they like this stuff? You know? Meanwhile, I'm just smiling there, looking right over his head, smiling like, hey, Hey, Gary, how you doing, man? <laughs> Didn't know you were so good at guitar, man. Huh? I hope I hope we all get to have experiences like this going forward. I mean, like you say, we're just glad live music is back. And well, and, and to go to a tiny little club to see some sh**ty band, I'd probably be pretty happy with. But now that it's coming back, I don't want to miss a chance to see somebody great. And I hit it out of the park with this show. Or sounds they, like it. They, yeah. They, yeah. Well, that wraps up a very, very special 75th episode of The Ugly American Werewolf in London, where yours truly, Mag B. the Wolf, had a once in a lifetime opportunity. To basically sit on the stage at Royal Albert Hall and see the legendary Nick Mason of Pink Floyd perform with his band Saucer Full of Secrets doing all those amazing Pink Floyd songs from the 60s and very early 70s, pre-Dark Side of the Moon compositions that have stood the test of time that so many people still love and just don't get the love on the radio, especially in the U.S., that they deserve. To revisit these and to be able to see his band together, making that amazing music once again, it was just a super special night in London for a guy who always knew he wasn't going to be able to live here indefinitely to be able to see this band play live to have this amazing chance to sit on the stage at the very least front row where not very many people get to sit was super duper special, and I just can't recommend enough if you have a chance to see them, whether it's here in the u k and they're still touring or maybe sometime they get uh, onto continental Europe, or I bet they would like to go to the States at some point. If you have the chance, I highly, highly recommend taking the opportunity and seeing them one last time because there won't be another Pink Floyd show. There might not be another David Gilmore tour, and this is a really special opportunity. Got 75 episodes. Can you believe it? We never would have made it here without all our listeners and fans, and we appreciate you, and we want you to subscribe or download wherever you get your podcast, be it Amazon, Google Play, Spotify, Apple, Good Pods has been very good to us, putting us on their top 10 music history and rock commentary lists. Please download and subscribe, and if you think about it, leave a positive review. It just helps us find more great listeners like you, helps us grow the show, and if you let us know about it, if we see it, we might just read it on the show. Now, as usual, did we get something right? Did we get something wrong? Did we miss the point? Did we leave out your favorite part? You have to let us know. Go ahead and DM us or tweet us at Ugly underscore Werewolf or at ActionJack72. And as we said before, we are proud members of the Pantheon Podcast Network, a network of about 100 great shows out there on all sorts of music from all around the world. And we have some great friends on that network as well, like Vintage Rock Podcast. Paul Stevenson does an amazing job with killer interviews from big-time Rock and Roll Hall of Fame artists. Now he's got a daily show, and yours truly is going to have some guest spots on a couple of those daily show episodes. So you have about five or six minutes, and you can check out Vintage Rock Pods. Of course, I was on The Hook Rocks by Jay when I won his Best Album of All Time tournament. He does an amazing job. Sometimes it's hard to keep up because he does three, four shows a week, but they're always great, and I encourage you to listen to Jay. And, of course, our friends at shouted Out Loudcast, the best kiss podcast in the world. They're hilarious guys, Tom and Zeus, and they are our special guests Coming up on episode 76 next week, Jackson and I talk to Tom and Zeus about KISS Revenge and that era of KISS. We're not necessarily going to walk song by song through the album, but we want to talk about KISS in that era. What was going on with him? What was going on in music generally? We're all the same age. We were in college at the same time. What was our experience listening to KISS and finding KISS at this time and going to see KISS live? They're great guys. they got the best KISS show in the world, and they're going to be on our show which has us just super-duper excited, man. So, until then, rock and rollers, to all of you all around the world, be cool and stay safe.
1: It's NFL Draft Season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football